0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and hey, our Christmas tree is still up. I hope you all have had a wonderful Christmas season, celebrating the best holiday, the coziest holiday of the year. The day I'm recording this is Epiphany, January 6th. For many, I believe that this signifies the end of the Christmas celebration. Although I'm not sure on that. My particular denominational belief. Most of us tend to stop celebrating on Christmas Day. I don't, however, I keep things going. And, and so I'm hoping to learn more about how other people, uh, celebrate and believe and things like that just to, uh, uh just to increase my understanding. And so I, learned a few things about uh, Three Kings Day, or Epiphany, and we're going to talk about that in our show today, Uh, as well as a a Christmas tradition in Iceland uh, that's translated as the Christmas Book Flood. And uh, I think you'll enjoy my struggle to pronounce Icelandic words, but I, I like the idea of gifting lots of books for Christmas. That sounds like a wonderful tradition. So we're going to talk about some books. We're going to look at the three wise men, maybe think about who they are, as well as some poetry to read today that meditate on the wise men. So there's lots of goodies in store for you today. Think of this episode as when you're putting away your Christmas decorations, you find one more present you forgot about. Well, first of all, I want to tell you about a new podcast I came across, and it is called the Calm Christmas Podcast with Beth Kempton. She talks about things that actually will calm you and things that can help make your Christmas season slow down and be enjoyable. I'd encourage you to check that out, and it's available all over. I had reached out to her to see if I could get her on the podcast, but our schedules aren't going to work to do that before Christmas anyway. I'll direct you to her podcast, and she's written a book, Calm Christmas and a Happy New Year, a little book, a fest of joy. And I haven't had a chance to read that yet, but I encourage you to check that out if that sounds like something you would enjoy. It is a calming presence in your life of insanity. So let's talk about Yola Boca Flood. Have you heard of that holiday tradition? I first came across it on a Facebook post and I thought it was one of those made-up Facebook posts, but it actually seems like there's some truth to it. Um, According to the website, jolabokaflod.org It is, in fact, the Icelandic tradition of gifting a book on Christmas Eve and that you then spend the day or the evening reading your book and, I think, eating chocolate. It translates roughly into English as the Christmas Book Flood. And according to the website, this tradition began during World War II once Iceland had gained its independence. Paper was one of the few commodities not rationed during the war, so Icelanders shared their love of books even more as other types of gifts were short supply. This increase in giving books as presents reinforced Iceland's culture as a nation of bookaholics. A study conducted by Bifrost University in 2013 found that half the country's population read at least eight books a year. And so, uh, every year since 1944, the Icelandic book trade has published a catalogue called Bokatidin... tidin." <laughs> I should have... I didn't look up how to pronounce that word. tidindi." The Icelandic book trade has published a catalogue called tidindi," or book bulletin in English, that is sent to every household in the country in mid-November during the Reykjavík book fair. People use the catalog to order books to give friends and family for Christmas. During the festive season, gifts are opened on December 24th and by tradition, everyone reads the books they have been given straight away, often while drinking hot chocolate or alcohol-free Christmas ale called Yola Blonde. So that's a little bit about the origins of Yola Boca Flode. I really think this is a great tradition and honestly something I would love to do. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like opening presents on Christmas Eve. But wouldn't it be fun to give like one gift of a book if you're a book lover? You know, here's a book. Here's some chocolate. Here's some hot chocolate. Now go to your room or sit by the tree, cozy up by the Christmas fire, and read to your heart's content. That sounds wonderful. And I know so many people have so many things to do on Christmas Eve with food preparation and and family coming in and all that. But even for just a couple of hours, here's a book. Let's, we're just going to sit and we're going to read. We're going to put on nice music. We're not going to do anything else. With kids, that can be real hard. But, you know, when I was a younger kid, you you give me a, a Fireside comic or comic book or a, a Garfield comic book, a Calvin and Hobbes, something like that. Yeah, I'd be enraptured for hours. And so I thought what to, what I would do, I found this book tag going around online. I follow a lot of YouTubers who post about books. I, I follow a lot of the ones who love to talk about Victorian literature and 19th century classics and things like that. She had posted a video called A Christmas Carol Book Tag. You know, there's eight questions based on or around characters in, the, in A Christmas Carol, and you're supposed to come up with your favorite books. So I'm going to do that. And so you get to know a little bit more about some of my favorite books and we can help celebrate the season together. And I'd love to know how you would answer these questions. Um, So question one is, The Ghost of Christmas Past, what book was a childhood favorite of yours? I mean, I had a lot of childhood favorite books. Uh, I think probably my, oh man, this is hard already. Um, (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on how old. You were when I was real, real little. I loved the the, the children's book Ar- Artie the Smarty. Obviously, it had my name on it, so that was neat. It was about a little fish who wanted to make a big, a big splash, and he went all over the ocean trying different ways to make a big splash. So that was pretty neat. Um, another one was the Sesame Street book with Grover that um, called "There's a Monster at the End of This Book." and i love the i love the interactive part of that of that book how you know grover is talking to you the reader and trying to tell you not to turn the page because there's a monster at the end and he's trying all these ways to get you to stop reading which then makes you want to keep reading more and see what this monster is at the end of the book and and for those who know that story it It's a really delightful ending. I guess as I got a little bit older, grade school age, you know, probably the Hardy Boys. I read a lot of Hardy Boys. Um, So question two is The Ghost of Christmas Present, a recent book that you think will become one of your all time favorites. The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Mara. And she has a podcast, a a book podcast, too. But this is a a nonfiction book. Well, the full title is The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. Millicent Patrick is the uh, lady who developed and created the creature from the Black Lagoon. She designed him and she also was involved in working in Disney and helped design the uh, I think it was the night, uh, the night on Bald Mountain monster. And I love this story or this book because Mallory puts herself into the story and chronicles her her journey of discovery as she uncovered who Millicent was and how many of the men would try to prevent uh, Millicent from getting credit for her work and and things of that nature. And so it is partly a historical nonfiction, partly a feminist book. She does address some of the issues and struggles that she that Mallory herself has had to face as a creative filmmaker, author. Unfortunately not a lot of things have changed in our society. But it's it's well worth the read and you know, men, definitely read this book and let it let it open your eyes. And on top of all that, it's a it's a great story. It's a good, good story. The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come is question three. A book coming out next year that you're most excited about. Well, anytime Louise Penny puts out a new book uh, she writes a mystery series set in Three Pines, in the, the little uh, village of Three Pines in Quebec, Canada. It's a wonderful series. I don't know if she has any new ones coming out, but I thought I'd throw that out there. I'm not really up on upcoming books right now, so that's that's a tricky one. But some of the books that I buy as soon as they come out would be like Jim Butcher and his Harry Dresden series. Flavia De Luce series. Uh, so any books by Alan Bradley, I'm going to read. Those are the ones that just jump right to my mind. Question four is Bah Humbug, a book that everyone else loves that you just can't stand. Now, it would be super lazy of me to just say something like oh, Twilight, but I ha- haven't read it. You know, the one that really jumps out at me is Gone Girl. A couple of years back, our library was having a blind date with a book. And you picked, you know, a, a book that was wrapped up. You took it home. You didn't know what it was, and you opened it and read it. So I did that, and and it was Gone Girl. And so I had heard of it. I read it. Really did not care for it, but I know a lot of people do. I would say maybe another one is, and, and this might have people up in arms against me, but um, I, I don't really like the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe book or, or series even by uh, c.s lewis i mean to be fair i only have read um, maybe the first two i know i've read the first one the lion the witch and the wardrobe i mean i don't hate it though i mean i'm more ambivalent towards it and i know a lot of people like that one it's just not my it's just not for me okay question five bob cratchit an old dependable that you always recommend All right. Well, would you be surprised if I mentioned any book by Charles Dickens, specifically, of course, A Christmas Carol, you know, Great Expectations, uh, (laughs) blanking out David Copperfield, you know, his his classic works of just great stories and interesting characters, beautiful language. And they're just like coming back to these is like putting on a comfortable old shirt. It's like spending time with an old friend. It's really wonderful. Um, To go beyond Dickens, of course, you know, I would say like The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451 by the same, you know, these are books I've read multiple times that could all be described as a a Bob Cratchit. Anytime, you know, I need to unwind or or I need to inspire my thinking or just bask in the awe of the written word. I mean, Dickens is going to do it for me every time especially Christmas Carol. Oh, uh, A Tale of Two Cities. Great expectations. Just excellent works of literature. Question number six is Tiny Tim, an underhyped book that you think deserves more love. Okay, I- I'd have many answers again for this, but it's a new one this year I read, and it's a collection of short stories called Dark Black by Sam Weller, and I had him on as a guest during Halloween as you recall and we talked about Ray Bradbury and a little bit about his book it's a great creepy collection of of short stories that will they'll move you to tears there's a few that will scare you there's a couple that are gothic in nature some very reminiscent of Ray Bradbury um, and I've really enjoyed that book this year and it's hard to know if it's underhyped because you know I don't really pay attention to a lot of that but I just think More people should read it, you know, and that's probably what the point of this this tag is. Question seven is today. Why it's Christmas Day. What's a book that always gets you in the mood for Christmas apart from a Christmas carol? So drats, they took my answer. I have been looking for more Christmas books to add to my rotation because I'm not sure up until just this last year. I've really had books that you know that I read every year other than you know a Christmas carol. But um there is one called Well, two actually. <laughs> See, I, I cheat all the time. So it's part of a series and they're a young adult, but I really love the story. The first book in the series is called A Boy Called Christmas, and it tells the origin of Santa Claus, you know, and it's such a, a charming story. And I listened to the audiobook read by Stephen Fry. It's just brilliant. His his voice is so perfect for it, and it just gets you in a Christmas mood. I want to know if he's narrated A Christmas Carol before, because I think he'd do a great job. But I digress. A Boy Called Christmas, and then the sequel, The Girl Who Saved Christmas. Now, that story takes place years later. It's in Victorian England. Yep, yeah, Charles Dickens makes a cameo in the book and follows a little girl who... Um, saves Christmas. And I really don't want to spoil any more than that. These books deal with grief, but they're so funny and so well-written that as an adult, I read these and I loved them. And I read them aloud to Gracie and she, she enjoyed it. And in that story, the the girl is the main character. And in the first one, Nicholas or the boy named Christmas, you know, Santa Claus, he's, he's the main character. Check those books out. They're really good. Question eight, the Muppet Christmas Carol. What is your favorite film adaptation of a book? Again, we, it could be easy and go with the uh, adaptations of A Christmas Carol, but my favorite film adaptation of a book is is the Lord of the Rings trilogy movies, especially the extended edition. This is probably sacrilege to some of you, but, but I love the films better even than the books. As far as entertainment goes, you know, you can't get as deep and thoughtful and film as you can in books, at least not to the extent of what Tolkien is trying to do in, in his trilogy. I think those adaptations are perfection. I mean, I don't have quite as deep of a love for Lord of the Rings that some do, so I'm more willing to accept some of the changes made, but I really like the changes that Peter Jackson made and how he adapted the book into the film and, and stayed faithful to what Tolkien's story was about. I remember thinking after watching the the first uh, Fellowship of the Ring that this is exactly how I pictured things in my head uh, as I read. And, and you know, these are actors and these characters and their motivation and the things they do. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, that's the gold standard. And the perfect blend of practical effects with CGI, it still holds up today. The phenomenal performances by the entire cast, but especially, you know, Andy Serkis. Ian McKellen's performance as Gandalf was perfection. Sean Austin as, you know, Samwise Gamgee. He he should have been nominated for an Oscar, especially in Return of the King. To me, that's, that's my favorite film adaptation. And since I've been coming up with more than one answer for some, you know, I'd say another one would be the Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma. And I really like the new version of Emma that came out this past year. It's maybe it's just the story of Emma I like so much. But um, those are two really good film versions of Emma. Oh, well, you might as well throw out Clueless. Also, that's a good adaptation of Emma. That one, you know, sets it in the modern day. Well, not modern anymore. That was, was that 30 years ago? Oh, man, guys, I'm getting old. Anyway, (laughs) back to the task at hand. That's that's the uh, Christmas Carol book tag. How would you answer some of those questions? Do You disagree with me? I can almost guarantee that somebody out there disagrees with me. In fact, I know who, and <laughs> probably can name them, but I won't. But that's fine. You know, that's all part of the fun. If you celebrate Yola Flood, I hope you have an enjoyable time sitting and reading and celebrating Christmas the way a book nerd would celebrate it. And I hope for this year for Christmas. Uh, May all your bookish dreams come true. Next up, we have a listener memory. In fact, we have quite a few listener memories. Our listener named Rick, and he has been very actively sending me Christmas memories and and emails, and I really appreciate it. It's been so fun to read his thoughts. Uh, So I'm going to get him a Christmas card and a podcast sticker here in the mail soon. Again, his name is Rick and he's a relatively new listener to the podcast. And let me go ahead and read you what the first one he sent me. I have several stories to tell, but I'm afraid they aren't exciting enough for broadcast. But they are my memories, as boring as that may be. As I get older, closing in on 65, I am getting more and more nostalgic and sentimental. I have also recently had some health issues that have given me plenty of time to ruminate. First of all, I love Christmas. Like you, I listen to Christmas music all year long when the mood strikes. I can justify it like this. If I get in a beach or summer mood, even in January, I'll pop in a Jimmy Buffett or Beach Boy CD and dream and dream about the old days. Some of my earliest memories of Christmas are growing up in north central Indiana with my older sister and two younger brothers. Every Christmas we were able to pick out one big present to complement the usual socks and underwear. We would get the Sears catalog out and spend months trying to decide what to wish for. Then my parents would take us downtown to do a little window shopping around the square where we would cross paths with a number of Santa's helpers and visit Santa himself in one of the department stores. If you watch A Christmas Story, that was my childhood growing up minus one generation. In fact, one year a BB gun was my big gift. Christmas morning, the house would be wakened with the shout from one of us kids, Santa's been here! Years later, we were told that frequently my parents had just gotten to bed when they heard the ominous shouting. One year, my wish was for a transistor radio, and this is the truth, it didn't even need to be plugged in, and it was small enough that I could carry it around with me in its fancy leather case. It also had a retractable antenna. I remember listening to that very radio at recess in grade school hearing Bob Gibson pitch in the World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. Another year, I found a reel-to-reel tape recorder with about 3-inch reels, and I had to have. I thought it was the neatest thing ever, and I remember that I was given a budget of $15, and that fit the bill. I don't remember ever recording anything, though. We also got ice skates, and we would search the streets for sheets of ice on which to skate. Soon, Dad would freeze the back patio where we could skate, and we'd have the neighbors' kids over to skate with us. Later, we got bigger items, bikes, etc. But every year, my brothers and I got new basketballs, one being the red, white, and blue ball for the new Indianapolis Pacers ABA team. And every year, I would rush over to my best friend's house to compare our hauls. Then we always had our turkey dinner, even though we usually had just gotten rid of the turkey that we had for Thanksgiving. Mom and Dad would toast tons of bread and rip it apart from Mom's special homemade stuffing. It was an old family recipe of my mother's, and it wasn't until I was an adult that we confessed that it was the worst stuffing ever. I didn't realize that I even liked dressing until stovetop stuffing came along. Oh well. And so then he, uh, he ends his memories there, but he has sent me at least, I think, three more. And Rick, I really appreciate the memories you're sending in. You've got a talent for writing, and I'm so grateful that you're letting me share these with my listeners. Okay, so but there's a lot in his story to unpack here. He he says he's getting more and more nostalgic and sentimental, and that's something I can really identify with. That's been my story this year, for sure. And I like his argument about listening to Christmas music any time of the year. That, you know, don't we, When in those cold days of winter, we want something to be reminded of summer, and, and we'll listen to you know, summertime music. So why why not do the same for Christmas? I think that's a great idea. Anyway, great story. I'm looking forward to sharing more of his stories in upcoming episodes. So stay tuned. You know, Rick, if you keep sending these to me, we're going to have to make this a, regu- a regular feature on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I am enjoying what you're sending. So if you want to be awesome like Rick, uh, send me a uh, Christmas memory any time of the year and I'll read it and we'll send you a Christmas card, and a podcast sticker. We'll now turn our attention to to our our story today, and I I want us to consider the story of the three wise men, as mentioned uh, in Christian scriptures. The story of the wise men come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. I'm going to start there. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And that's the account of the wise men, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And there has been so much, so much uh, story and history and speculation about these people. And it's remarkable that it all comes from just a very small portion of scripture. And we we see, and I know some people like to debate this, what, were there three wise men, were there 12, were there more or less? We don't have a number given to us in the Bible. We have to look towards uh, to uh, history to tell us. There are um, conflicting accounts of that. I, I personally believe that there were more than three, but that's not a hill I'm gonna die on. So if you disagree with that, that's um, that's fine. I I won't hold it against you. So I was looking up a few things, and I mean this is not going to be an in-depth study of of the wise men. Now, according to Wikipedia, it says this that the biblical Magi, or uh, we refer to them as the wise men or the three kings, were distinguished foreigners in the Gospel of Matthew and Christian tradition. They are said to have visited Jesus after his birth, bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They are regular figures in traditional accounts of the Nativity celebrations of Christmas and are also an important part of Christian tradition. And it's interesting that such a small section of Scripture has inspired such a major influence of how we celebrate in the the visual decorations of the holiday of Christmas. Um, You know, especially the star. uh, The Star of Bethlehem. And no, not the one in Christmas Chronicles 2. I don't even know what that was. I, I find the star interesting that they saw it in the sky, but then it led them. They followed it. It seems to move. So there's a lot of debate as to what that star was assuming we take scripture at its word. And and there's been a lot in the news lately about the Bethlehem or the Christmas star, uh, that was the alignment of a couple of different planets. And that might've been it. You know, I, again, I don't know. It's, we don't have a lot of specific detail, at least from what what I've read. I'm certainly open. If you have things in Christian tradition or history that I'm unaware of, which is is probably considerable amount, um, do feel free to share that with me. I'm, like I said, I'm here to learn. I want to, I want to learn more. According to to tradition, uh, the wise men uh, have been known as Balthazar, Melkor, and Gaspar, or uh, also called Caspar. And according to the Western tradition, Balthazar is represented as a king of Arabia, or sometimes Ethiopia, Melkor as a king of Persia, and Gaspar as a king of India. I kind of like that because I think that ties into what the wise men represent, as in Jesus was born not just to be uh, the Messiah of Israel, but also to be the Savior of the world. And so the world is represented in the wise men. Um, and then according to the Britannica.com encyclopedia entry for for the wise men, it says there that Christian theological tradition has always stressed that Gentiles, as well as Jews, came to worship Jesus, an event celebrated in the Eastern Church at Christmas and in the West at Epiphany on January 6th. Eastern tradition sets the number of magi at 12, but Western tradition sets their number at three, probably based on the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh presented to the infant. Um, So there are just a couple of things there to get your mind thinking about it, and, you know, just to get maybe a discussion started on who these guys were and what other people have come to learn or what their church teaches about them. So if you have any uh, anything of interest to add to the discussion, you know, go ahead and leave a comment or send me a message, and I'd love to talk to you about that. I want to read a poem about the three wise men. It's not very long. Uh, a couple of poems, actually, and they're by uh, Cecil Francis Alexander. Cecil Francis Alexander was born in 1818 and she died in 1895. She was a hymn writer and a poetry writer. And one of the hymns you may recognize is uh, a Christmas carol called Once in Royal David's City. And I'm going to read the words of that poem that she wrote. Once in Royal David's City by Cecil Francis Alexander. Once in Royal David's City stood in a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ her little child. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth our Savior holy. And through all his wondrous childhood he would honor and obey Love and watch the lowly maiden and whose gentle arms he lay. Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. For he is our childhood's pattern, day by day, like us he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless, tears and smiles like us he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love, for that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above, and he leads his children on to the place where he is gone, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him but in heaven, see at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. I am familiar with that Christmas carol, but I'm not sure I knew anything beyond the first verse. Cecil Alexander, she was born Cecil Francis Humphreys, and she was an Irish poet. Uh, When she was young, she wrote poetry in her school's journal. In 1850, she married Reverend William Alexander, who later became the Anglican Chief Bishop of Ireland. She showed her concern for disadvantaged people by traveling many miles each day to visit the sick and the poor, providing food, warm clothes, and medical supplies. She and her sister also founded a school for the deaf. Her first book of poetry, Verses for Seasons, was a, quote, Christian year for children. She wrote hymns based on the Apostles' Creed, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the Ten Commandments, and prayer, writing in simple language for children. Her more than 400 hymn texts were published in Verses from the Holy Scripture in 1846 Hymns for Little Children in 1848, and Hymns Descriptive and Devotional in 1858. And that's from hymnary.org. And you can get the sense of of her writing for children, I think, in that carol once in Royal David City. So to get to the point, uh, the poem I wanted to read is called The Adoration of the Wise Men, and it was published in 1853, which I thought would be appropriate to read in Acknowledgement of Epiphany. The Adoration of the Wise Men Saw you never in the twilight When the sun had left the skies Up in heaven the clear stars shining Through the gloom like silver eyes So of old the wise men watching Saw a little stranger star And they knew the king was given And they followed it from far Heard you never of the story How they crossed the desert wild Journeyed on by plain and mountain Till they found the Holy Child how they opened all their treasure kneeling to that infant King gave the gold and in fragrant incense gave the myrrh an offering know ye not that lowly baby was the bright and morning star he who came to light the Gentiles in the darkened Isles afar and we too may seek his cradle there our hearts best treasures bring, love and faith and true devotion, for our Saviour, God, and King. So this is a, a short poem, a simple poem, one where she meditates on the wise men and what and what that means for us. I like the beginning stanza where she paints this really wonderful word picture about you know asking, have you ever you know gone outside at night and and seen as the sun set. All the stars coming out and becoming brighter. And then she ties in the old wise men who would watch the skies and they knew the stars. But then this strange star appeared and they followed it. And they crossed the desert wild and they journeyed on by plain and mountain till they found the Holy Child, until they came to Jesus. And they knelt and they gave him gifts. And then, uh, you know, as many would do. She gives the lesson of the story, you know, and you kind of get that sense, too, in her her song, uh, Once in David's Royal City. You know, there's this, the moral of the story. This lowly baby was the bright and morning star. She's making reference to him being Jesus, who came to light the Gentiles in the the darkened isles afar, which, you know, in today's language, we'd probably want to change that a little bit. But I I think I understand the imagery she's trying to paint is that, um, you know, the the Bible teaches, you know, the gospel, the, the message of Jesus as being the light that comes into the darkness or into, uh, into sin. And it shows people the way to redemption. I guess how I interpret this is that she wants the, um, the light of Jesus, that understanding of who he is to come to everyone who does not know him. And so now we have the option to seek his cradle, as it says in this poem. And bring our heart's best treasures, um, love, faith, and true devotion for our Savior, God, and King. So I don't know about you, but I can't afford to give anyone gold. I don't really know what frankincense or myrrh are, and if I did, I'm not sure where I could find it. (laughs) But I like what the message of this poem here in these closing lines, that we can be like the wise men, and bring our heart's best treasure. It's not gold, it's not frankincense, it's not myrrh. It's love, it's faith, and it's true devotion. And we do it for our Savior, God, and King. And so how do we do that? Well, you know, we need to show each other love. And the Bible teaches that when we show love to to the poor, to the needy, do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, when you do that to the least of these, you do it to me. When you feed the hungry, when you give drink to the thirsty, clothes to the needy, uh, you know you are feeding and clothing Jesus. We can show love to each other. We can show faith, devotion to God and for God. And I think that can begin with how we treat each other. Can we really go wrong by beginning with loving one another and living our faith. You know, faith isn't just a feeling. I've always thought faith is an action that it drives me to do something, to be kind, to be helpful. Well, this isn't supposed to be turning into a sermon, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm just trying to reflect on this past year here and all the pain and suffering our nation and and our world has gone through. With how many people have died from COVID and have been severely impacted by it and how there were so many people who named the name of Jesus, but showed absolutely no remorse or no empathy towards those who were suffering. The wise men brought gifts that Mary and Joseph could use. Brought them gifts of royalty and of wealth, a a sacrificial gift. What gifts do we have that we can give to each other? And again, not gifts of money, but gifts of love, of faith, and true devotion. How would that look like in our life? I, as I've said before, I think we can have a profound impact and a profound change in our world if we show kindness and empathy and love those are my christmas thoughts (laughs) and if you celebrate epiphany I'd i'd love to know what you do to acknowledge that and what those celebrations look like and so in 2021 i'm going to look for ways to show love faith and devotion as the wise men did And with that, it brings us to the end of our Christmas of 2020 season. Coming next week, we are going to have a season one wrap up of the podcast. There's one more interview I'm going to play for you in the next episode, and then we'll have another listener's memory. And then Gracie and I are going to sit down and have a chat and kind of recap our our first season. I'll share some of the, the stats and figures of the podcast. We'll talk about some of the Christmas gifts we got, and what our Christmas was like. And then starting on January 25th or possibly early February, we will begin season two and look forward to our, our slow march to Christmas of 2021. And uh, you know, as I sit here and look back on this year, as this podcast started in July, it's been a great year. And for you listeners out there, you have made this a very special Christmas for me and i thank you from the bottom of my heart so as we start season 2 i'll i'll be doing episodes probably two a month with a few exceptions we're going to have some special things for easter and, and christmas in christmas and july and then probably around september or october i'll increase to about one a week until christmas time it, it's going to be fun i can't wait for all the surprises that uh, are ahead for us. All right, I will see you in the next episode. Until then, be kind to each other and share your stories. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. So have a very Merry Christmas.